Brilliant. Well, that brings us to uh, our time in the service where um, we're going to look at God's Word together. We continue uh, to read the book of Acts as a church family, and Dan is going to open up the next passage of Scripture to us. So um, why don't I uh, pray for Dan and uh, let him get stuck in. Father God, um, I pray that you would uh, bless Dan as he speaks to us, Lord, um, that you would speak to us by the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that you would uh, lift us, shape us, and show us just how glorious you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Garant, you had a very good idea. Why don't we welcome Dan? <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We're going to be in Acts chapter 13. This morning, we're going to be uh, continuing off from uh, where I left uh, last week. We went through the first 12 verses. We looked at the fact that Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church in Antioch in order to proclaim the good news of Jesus to those who'd never heard about him. In fact, let's put a map up on the screen for those of you who like maps, and everyone else as well. Um, that's, so we looked last week at um, the fact that they went from Antioch in the top right corner. They went off to Cyprus preach the good news of Jesus there. And then today we are going to look at a section where they travel, they've travelled from Cyprus and they go all the way up into the kind of top left corner, which is kind of southern modern day Turkey, if you're wondering where we are in the world. And they go to a place called Antioch in Pisidia and they get a chance to preach the good news of Jesus. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13 and going to read a big chunk. So we're going to get a good dose of scripture today. Um, Acts chapter 13, verses 13, all the way through to the end of the chapter in verse 42. So let's read the word of God together. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had remembered him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no. But behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, that's Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. 
And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of, the city, the high, of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Have you ever missed something that was right in front of your eyes because you were focusing on something else? I don't know what that might be different things for you. For me, it would probably be missing the fact that there's washing up to do because I'm focused on anything else, to be honest. Um, there was a, interesting, there was an, an advert a few, I think about a decade ago, which some of you might remember, where there was a, two basketball teams and there was a little text that came up at the top of the screen saying, how many passes is the team in white going to make? And you'd spend your time focusing on it. Okay, how many passes are they doing? And it comes to the end of the video and it says, the answer is 15. But did you notice the moonwalking gorilla? And you suddenly, you rewind the video and you realize halfway through, there's a gorilla that enters, goes right into the middle of the camera and starts doing a moonwalk and then leaves. And you've completely missed it because you were so focused on counting how many passes people had done. It's possible to miss something even though it's right in front of you. And in this story, we get an example in part of some people who miss what God is doing, who miss Jesus, even though he has just been proclaimed to them. And so I've called this morning, Don't Miss Jesus. And we're going to learn, okay, what are some lessons we can learn from this to make sure that we don't miss what God wants to do 
with us in the moments that he wants to work in us. So we've seen Paul and Barnabas. They've been sent off. They're preaching the good news of Jesus. And they come to this place in Antioch and Pisidia. So I thought the map was up, but that's that's the problem having a screen behind you is you don't actually know what's up there. Oliver could be really naughty and just put nasty things about me in the background, couldn't he, if he wanted to. But by the way, great job, Oliver. Thanks so much for serving us. But let's have the map. Um, Antioch and Pisidia, top top right, left. For those of you who are confused, it's a different Antioch to the one that they left from. Just because, I don't know, it's nice to call places the same name. Um, And so they go to Antioch and Pisidia and they get, Paul gets a chance to basically preach in the synagogue Um, remember Paul is Jewish most of the early Christians are Jewish they would have gone along to the synagogue with their Jewish brothers and sisters and they would have wanted to see their Jewish brothers and sisters turn to Jesus and so Paul gets a chance to preach and he basically tells the people who are listening the story of their ancestors they'd have all been familiar with this he tells them the story of the exodus the story of wandering in the wilderness the story of going into the land and having judges and eventually ending up with King David King David, who verse 22 tells us is a man after God's own heart. He's Israel's greatest king. And he's reminding his his fellow Jews, he's reminding them, look, this is our history. And do you remember David? And they would have all been aware of the fact that God had made a promise to David. That God had made a promise, and you can read about it in 2 Samuel 7, had made a promise to David saying, your kingdom is going to last forever. There's always going to be someone who is sat on, one of your descendants sat on the throne. And the people that Paul was speaking to would have known that. And they would have been expecting a king to come who was a descendant of David, who would reign again on the throne of Israel. And they would often call him the Messiah. And Paul, in verse 23, amazingly helps them to understand this has now happened. It says, verse 23, Of this man's offspring, in other words, of David's offspring, so hundreds of years after David reigned, God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. Jesus is the descendant of David who is going to reign on the throne of Israel for the whole of eternity. And he's, he's telling them, this has happened in your day. But then he starts to tell them something that they wouldn't have expected, which was that this Messiah ended up being crucified. But then he tells them something that they might have even expected even less. But this crucified Messiah was then raised from the dead. And in fact, he tells them, if you read your scriptures, if you read your Old Testament carefully, you'll notice there are so many prophecies about the fact that the Messiah would rise from the dead. And he says, because of all of this, this is verse 38 to 39, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He says, because this Jesus, this descendant of David has died and has been raised from the dead, you can be forgiven of all of the things that you have done in rebellion against God. Which every single person sitting in that crowd would have known that they had done things that had put them at enmity with God. And the same is true for all of us. One of humanity's biggest needs is the need for forgiveness, is the need for the God that we have opposed and that we have turned our backs on to say, I forgive you and I accept you. And Paul's message is that because Jesus died and rose again, this is available for anyone who puts their trust in Jesus. I wonder if you've made that decision. Have you put your trust in Jesus today? Have you experienced what it is to be forgiven of everything? that you have ever done 
in opposition to God and to know him forgive you and accept you and welcoming you into the family. Most of us here will have, and it's a wonderful thing, but maybe you're here and you haven't taken that step. Can I encourage you? Put your trust in Jesus. Come and find me or maybe one of the other leaders or someone who bought you and ask them, how do I, how do I put this, my trust in Jesus? How do I receive this gift of forgiveness? It's the mo- one of the most needed things is for us to be forgiven and accepted and welcomed into God's family. And so they preach this amazing message and say, you can be forgiven of everything that you've done if you put your trust in the Messiah Jesus. But then he adds a little bit more to the end. He has a little bit of a warning because he's aware that there might be some people in that room who might not believe him or who might not respond to the message. And so he says this in verse 40 to 41. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perished, for I am doing in your work a day, in your, a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Paul's saying, you could hear what I'm saying and not believe it. You could hear what I'm saying and fail to see the moonwalking gorilla because you're so focused on the basketball team, because you're so focused on something else. And that is tragically what ends up happening with a number of them. Many of them actually do respond to the gospel. It's wonderful. You read in verse 43, many of them follow Paul and say, we want to hear more about this. But tragically for many of them, there's a moment in this story where they are so focused on the basketball team that they miss the moonwalking gorilla. Or to put it slightly less <laughs> fun language, because of the jealousy that we're going to read about, they miss Jesus. This is what it says, verses 44 to 45. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So the next Sabbath, the whole of the city, both Jewish people and non-Jewish people, decide to come to the synagogue because they want to hear what Paul said. That wouldn't have been normal for the whole city to want to gather to the Jewish synagogue. And when a number of the non-Christian Jews see this, they get jealous and they decide to start opposing Paul. Now, they might have been jealous because they think, wait a minute, Paul rocks up, preaches one sermon, and suddenly the whole city wants to hear him. They might be jealous of Paul. Or it might be possible, in fact, that they're looking at non-Jews and saying, I am jealous of the idea that you think that this non-Jew could become part of the people of God. Regardless, they ended up becoming jealous, and in the process, they missed what God had for them. They missed Jesus. In fact, Paul and Barnabas, at that, after that particular, um, that particular moment, walk out of the synagogue and say, we're, we're going to go to the non-Jews. If you're not going to accept this message, we're going to go to those who will. And they miss what God has for them in that moment. It's tragic. And they do that because of jealousy. And jealousy is such a dangerous thing. It's an absolute killer. And it's so easy for us to fall into. It's easy for us to fall into jealousy. I know that in my own life. It's so easy for me, so I'm a pretty young Christian leader. It is so easy as a young Christian leader to see other young Christian leaders who you notice are further ahead than you or you notice are in positions or opportunities that you, that you would like. It's so easy for your heart to become ugly in that moment and go, why don't I get that? I deserve that. I feel I should have that and forget that they don't deserve it, I don't deserve it, but there's something in my heart that is evil and ugly at that moment, and it keeps me from what God has for me. 
It keeps me from seeing Jesus in that moment. It's, it's a killer. It really is. I feel God wants us to feel the, the weight of it, that it's not, just, it's not just the kind of emotion that's like, well, it's not nice, but it's all right. It's the kind of thing that can really keep us from the purposes of God, and I don't want that for us. It could be a massive danger where we miss out on what God has for us because we desire something that someone else has so much that we're so focused on the basketball team that we miss the real deal. For some of us, it might be that we've seen other people healed, but we've not yet been healed, by, miraculously by God. And you're still praying, and it can be easy for that to turn into a moment of, why did they get it? Why did they get healed and I'm still not healed? It's not fair, God. In that moment, you can become so focused on what's happening with someone else that you miss. You shut yourself off almost in that sense to hearing what Jesus wants to say to you. Could be that there are work opportunities that a number of your colleagues have been given or promotions that you think, I should have got that. And it's so easy to become so focused on what they got and what you didn't that you fail to hear Jesus in the midst of it. I'm not saying that any of these things are easy or not painful, but it's easy for us to shut ourselves in with jealousy and envy. And can I say, it it will kill your walk with God. Jealousy will kill my walk with God. Jealousy will kill your walk with God. And I don't want that for us as a church. God doesn't want us for that as a church. It could be that there's lifestyles that you look at, particularly perhaps you're a, a Christian and you're looking at the lifestyles and what it is possible to do for those who are outside of the church because you realize we give regularly Therefore, we're not able to do certain things that many of my friends can do. And it's easy for jealousy to creep in at that moment. Could be that you're looking at all of your friends, one by one, getting married, and you're thinking, why am I not married yet? Why am I not there? God, you, you, why is that not happening? And it's so easy in those moments for envy and jealousy to turn us away from, God, from what God has for us. And that's what happened to a number of the Jews in this story, and it's tragic But we need to ask ourselves the question, what's the antidote to it? How do we escape from that mentality which is going to take us away from what God has for us? And I think the reaction of the Gentiles in this story actually is a really helpful antidote to jealousy. You know what an antidote is? You've got a poison, you take an antidote, and it helps to make sure that that poison doesn't have its effect. And I think if we read what happens when the Gentiles realize that Paul and Barnabas are going to come and preach the gospel to them, I mean, it's an amazing reaction So they leave the synagogue because a number of the Jews don't want to hear and they go and they're going to preach the good news to non-Jews and this is their reaction, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. They began rejoicing and glorifying the Lord. They didn't say, it's about time. Come on, we wanted in on it as well. Why is it that the Jews are allowed to be God's people? We deserve to be as well. No, they realized, what? We get to be part of God's people? Are you you telling me that we get to be brought into the people of God? We don't deserve that. We don't feel entitled to that. And they rejoice. So in that sense, the antidote to jealousy is to recognize the gift of God, is to recognize that every good thing that we have, including salvation, is a gift of God. And this is so important to emphasize because we live in a culture which is probably one of the most entitled cultures in history. And it can have a damaging effect on our spiritual life. Many, many things that 50, 60 years ago, people would not even have dreamt of having are now considered rights and entitlements in our culture. And many of these things are good things, but it's the mentality that develops. 
We think, I am entitled to a good pension. I'm entitled to a good retirement. I'm entitled to a good maternity leave. We, got, well, we were blessed with amazing maternity leave for both of, our, both of our daughters. Very grateful for it, but it can turn into a sense of entitlement. We feel entitled to free healthcare. Again, wonderful. I love the NHS. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a gift, a gift of God. But have you noticed how so much of the language, particularly in the last few decades, perhaps for those of you who've been around to see it, has probably changed from a language of, oh, we get free healthcare, to, I deserve this. And it's that kind of attitude. And the danger is that that can creep into our walk with God, where we suddenly start saying, well, God, well, we wouldn't say it because we know it's wrong, but we kind of feel, well, God kind of owes it to me to forgive me. I feel entitled that God would treat me in this particular way. God owes it to me to treat me in this specific way. And the antidote to jealousy is recognizing that there's one thing that we are entitled to, and that's an eternity of judgment. And when you suddenly realize, like the Gentiles here, wait a minute, I didn't deserve this, and God has given it to me. Jealousy runs out the window, because you think, yeah, they don't deserve that. I I don't deserve the good things that I've got. Jealousy disappears because you suddenly realize it's all a gift. It's all God's grace. Every good thing that we have is a gift of God's grace. And I need to remind myself more of that because I so easily slip into feeling titled, feeling jealous, and it keeps me from the things that God has for me. Whereas when I remember the grace of God, when I remember the fact that he saved me, not because I deserved it, not because I earned it, not because I was entitled to it, but because he loved me, it moves me to a place where I go, why, why would I want to be jealous? I want to accept, I want to see what God has for me. I want to not miss Jesus. And so let's be a church that remembers the grace of God. If we forget the grace of God, we're going to go very, very skewed. We're going to very quickly go down a path of either despair or feeling self-righteous and proud. Whereas when we remember the grace of God, we act like the Gentiles here and we rejoice and we glorify God and we say, I can't believe I get to be part of the people of God. I don't believe I get to be part of his family. It's amazing. And so we're going to put that into practice. We're going to put that into practice right now by taking communion together and by singing the song Amazing Grace. And as we do that, it may be that for some of you, you're aware I'm harboring envy or I'm harboring jealousy in my heart. Can I encourage you, bring that to God as we sing and allow him to replace that jealousy with amazement at the grace of God. And you will find that that jealousy suddenly becomes far less attractive, something you struggle with far less because you're so focused on the main thing that you're not distracted by the basketball team passing stuff around. You're not distracted by what other people have. So we're going to take communion together. It's on the, on the table down here. So please make your way down as we sing. Let's celebrate together. Let's remember the grace of God. So let me pray. Why don't we stand if you're able? Let me pray. And then um, we're going to worship God together. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is that offspring of David who died was raised from the dead and offers forgiveness to all who believe in him. I thank you, Lord, that for most of us here, we have received that offer of forgiveness. I thank you that we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. We deserve the opposite, but you gave us forgiveness in Christ. And Father, I pray as we take communion now, as we sing, I pray, Father, for those of us, and I'm sure it will be many of us to varying degrees, who struggle with envy and jealousy in our hearts and that taking us away from what you have for us. 
I pray, Lord, you would help us to reflect and remember the grace of God, the gift of salvation that you have given to us. And that our response to you would be, I can't believe you've chosen me. I can't believe you've forgiven me. And increasingly, that sense of entitlement would go down. That sense of gratefulness would go up and that we would see what you have for us, that we wouldn't miss Jesus in the process. We pray for these things in Jesus' name and that he would be glorified. Amen.